everybody. Welcome to Funny Parents. I am Mary. And I am Parent. And we are just so thrilled to have you here today. We have been so happy with the responses that we've been getting so far. Um, the ratings, the reviews, the likes, the shares. Thank you guys. It's and awesome. And the listens. Thank you so much for listening. And it gets us super excited because we've just loved hearing these stories. When when we sit down, we get to record one of these episodes every single time. We're sort of amazed at, at the stuff we hear. And so the fact that we get to share it on with you makes us really, really happy. Which is why we did this. We wanted to link up all of our kid cocoons so that we're we're not alone in this fight together. Though one of the things that I will say has surprised me early on in this is the amount of people without children who are yes. listening and loving these stories. Yes. Maybe we, it's their cautionary tale. I don't know. We may have a story that's really perfect for you today. <laughs> uh, one way or another. In a little bit, we're going to be hearing from our good friend, Aaron Payton. Uh, but... Right now, we are going to be kicking us off with an old improv buddy of ours from Chicago named Danny Schur. And Danny is very interesting. We got to know her, boy, some time ago doing improv at IO Chicago, doing improv at The Annoyance, and she was a, a, a fixture. She was always around. And she, at some point since we moved to New York, had a stroke of wisdom. She decided to become a PA. Yes, not a production assistant. A physician's assistant. Yes, that's a different type of PA. Yes, and, it's a very different skill set they have. And she's not just a PA. She's an ERPA. She, you know, if you watch Chicago Med, okay, no, that's the life she's actually living. Because she's in Chicago in an ER. Yes, yes, doing all of that. And she is a mom of two kids, and she's hilarious. And she is going to share with us her story of becoming a mother, which mm -hmm. are always good tales. And this one is going to be and a poopy good time. Nice foreshadowing. Have a listen. Um, so I, I wanted to tell the story of kind of, you know, becoming a parent and, and that kind of transition. And, and the, really the day that it happened to me is sort of when I kind of left being, you know, uh, just Danny Schur and kind of became mother. Um, so I was 39 weeks pregnant and I had like two days left before my official maternity leave in the ER. So I wanted to just kind of push it to the end. I'm that kind of person. I was just like, I'm going to do this. And I, I'm just cause I'm, you know, 39 weeks pregnant doesn't mean I have to stop working in the ER. So I went in and, um, I remember going down the stairs from my condo and I was so heavy and so my midsection was just hanging over my pants and I like toppled down two steps and like landed against the wall. Um, I didn't hurt myself, but I just like flooded against the wall and, and my, my husband came out and said, what the fuck just happened? And I, and I said, I said, I just tripped. That's it. And he goes, if you can't walk down the stairs, you can't work. Today's your last shift. That's it. And I was like, okay, whatever, Don Draper, you know, I'm going to work. And, Wait, you were uh, working at 39 weeks? Yeah, like, like fully, like, orca-sized pregnant, too. Um, but I was just like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm going to work. I'm still seeing patients. You know, just had, a, had kind of a gunner attitude. So... So I went to work in the ER where I was planning on, you know, the ER of the hospital where I was going to be giving birth. 
So I went there, saw a bunch of patients and, you know, moving around very slowly, you know, doing the penguin walk, but still doing it. And then, um, I remember I sewed up some woman's leg and kind of was trying to navigate leaning over her leg to repair it, but just kind of pushing my belly out of the way. And then all of a sudden I was like, ah, crap, I think I just peed myself. And, and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom now and just sort of do damage control. And I went to the bathroom and then pulled my pants down and I realized that it wasn't pee, it was amniotic fluid, which was literally pooling out of me. And, um, you know, I had my lab coat on, thankfully. And so I still had all these patients left in the ER, though. So I, you know, I, I kind of like waddled over with wet pants to one of the attendings. And I said, you know, I, I hate to do this, but I need to sign out my patients to you. You know, and of course, that never happens in the ER. You pretty much work no matter what. And she said, well, why? And I said, I I think my water just broke. And she said, well, how do you know? And I kind of pointed down and she was, you know, she was, oh my God, get out, just get out of here. And so again, I just like kind of grabbed my stethoscope and my bag and waddled over to the OB triage. And I was, <laughs> and I went to the other area of the hospital with my pants fully wet. And on my way, I called Matt, my husband and, and he would, you know, went through his training of, you know, they teach all the guys the TACO acronym, T-A-C-O, time, amount, color, odor. And I, you know, I told him, I said, Matt, I said, Matt, my water broke. And he was like, what time? How much? What color? What does it smell like? I was like, like, Matt, no, I mean, I, I, we don't need to do this. I'm telling you, I'm like a medical professional. It's it's for sure. And, um, and he just was kind of like, well, just, just tell me, tell me about it. And you could tell he just was like, I got to know this information because this is what I was taught. And so I gave him all the information. I was like, it's happened two, two to five minutes ago. It's uh, like 10 cups, <laughs> uh, pink and uh, odorless. Can you get here? And um, so, you know, he like obviously rushed over very quickly. And, um, you know, we got to the OB triage and I wasn't dilated at all so my you know my my attending uh, OB doctor was paged from there and side note about my OB doctor um, I found him because he was a solo practitioner in the hospital I wanted to deliver and was one of the only ones and Mm -hmm. I was like I'm gonna go with him I didn't need I didn't need to meet him he looked like he went to a good school you know, good bio, solo practitioner. My first day when I went to see him, I, I walked, you know, I walked in and he looked like a, like a soap opera star. Um, he just was drop dead gorgeous. And I, you know, I saw him and I was like, ah, shit. I found the only like super hot OB doctor. And I was about to walk out because I was like, I do not want him between my legs ever in a clinical way, in a clinical way. And, um, I, you know, so I, I, but he was so charming and nice that I said, I'm, I'm just going to go with him. So anyways, I got into this, uh, I, I, I just went with him and my husband liked him and he was so charming and great guy. We've re- referred him to a million people, but anyways, um, that's the side note on him. So he was paged and said, why don't you guys just take the day off? You're not, you're not dilated. Um, it was very like atypical 
uh, advice, but he said, just go, go shower, get some pizza. It's going to be a while. You know, you don't need to come in right now. Just go have a few hours to yourselves. And, um, you know, the triage nurses were like, what? This is wildly unusual. And, and so, but we, you know, we trusted him and he's great. So, so Matt and I went and we went to the pizza place where we went for our, our first date, peak quotes. And we went and like had a nap and just laid down and just, you know, and I always think about that time that he gave us. And it was probably one of the roman- most romantic times we've ever had because it was the last time it was just the two of us. Um, yeah. It was just a really cool thing that he did that he didn't have to do. I mean, he could have just as easily like brought me in and had me induced and had it off his checklist, but it was just really cool that he did that. So anyway, I got in there and, uh, you know, eventually I started to get dilated and my parents flew in from Florida and, and I said I was going to try to do the natural birth, which lasted like five contractions. And I was like, <laughs> fuck this. And uh, I was like, this is not for me. I have like ultimate respect for anybody who's done that because it, it really it felt like like actual like a poltergeist demon, like inside my body, beating mm-hmm. me from the inside. You know, and I was like, I just numb this out. Just numb it out. And uh, so I got the numbing and, you know, the epidural. And that that went fine. And then, uh, you know, the, finally my OB guy got there and he, you know, he always like swept into a room and he was like, hello, are you ready to push out your baby? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, let's do this. This is great. And of course I thought, okay, I'm numbed up. How hard can it be to push out a baby? But I, you know, I didn't realize that there's actually like an art to it. Like you have to do it right. And he, I think tapped into my competitive nature and, um, you know, he, he got down there and he was like, start pushing. And I still wanted to like, I don't know, look pretty when I was pushing. Um, and so I was like, eh, okay, it's not coming out, you know, cause he's like a movie star basically saying push push and i you know i was kind of like oh gosh this is so ugly so ugly what i'm doing and you know there's like blood and stuff starting to come out and he's like daddy you are not doing a good job you need to push like you are shitting i want you to shit on my fingers I i was like um no way like this is totally <laughs> like there's this guy down there with his fingers like in like in my perineum uh down there saying shit on his fingers and i was like not fucking likely sir and he said if you're if you doing it right then you will poop on me if you are not doing it right you are not and then the nurse who is like this you know totally weathered lady she just looks at me and she's like they all shit and I was like, okay, I guess so. And, you know, so he's just like yelling at me to do it. So, of course, I did. It was awful. But I think that moment when I realized, like, this is not going to be pretty, um, you know, the, the, it was sort of like, the, you know, they say all labor has a transition, um, where a transition point where kind of you kick it up to the next level. I always think about it as like a dance party when, you, you know, you can feel it get really like a a cooler vibe and people are just having a much more fun time and 
It's getting looser and freer. I was kind of like, this is that dance party moment where shit's getting wild. Like, lights start getting brighter. They put rags on your head. You know, I'm pooping on this hot guy's hand. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I was just thinking, this is when it all changes for for me. Um, not going to be, this is not going to be pretty. Uh, this is where I leave behind, you know, my preconceptions of, of what it's like to be a woman. And this is when the goal is not anymore to just keep your, keep up appearances or to, you know, have this, this kind of preserved identity, but instead it's what's best for this life that's coming out of your body. And, um, and I think that moment of me pooping on my hot doctor's hands was this kind of like transition moment where you just leave it all behind and and it's so ridiculous because I look back on it and I think this is the this is what being a parent is about <laughs> you you have to leave behind everything and it gets ugly and it gets hard and but um you know the next thing that happened after that is that you know they hand me a little this little baby and and then we didn't know what we we're gonna have but as soon as they handed me this child and my husband cut the umbilical cord and, and I looked at her and it, it's nothing, nothing that happened up to that point mattered because, you know, as, as you guys know, the, the connection you have to your child is there's nothing, mm-hmm. there's nothing like it. And it is so cosmic and powerful. And, and I, you know, when I, and I held her and I, it was just immediate love and it's unending love and it happens forever. And, starts there and you know that a couple a couple days later when they dismissed me discharged me I brought my daughter home and I remember just being so tired and wrecked and you know your body has gone through all these like visceral incredible changes hormonally and emotionally and like literally physical physically and it was up in the middle of the night with her and she was crying and I was crying. So, so tired. And I didn't know how to calm her down. And she just remember she looked up at me and it was like the first time she made eye contact, like true eye contact. She just locked in with her, you know, into my eyes. And I looked in hers and she smiled. It was in mm-hmm. the middle of the night. And she smiled at me when she was like three night, three days old. And I just, you know, it was just this cosmic ethos this ethereal like metaphysical connection and and i i feel like it always it just started at that point and and nothing has been the same since since labor and delivery and i think up until that transition moment the dance party moment i think that i was still kind of holding on to something and then you let it go and and then there's your baby and there's parenthood and ever since then it's been just as crazy (laughs) I don't poop on people's hands anymore, but, uh, but, um, but it's been great. We'll never say never. <laughs> I mean, Pat, I guess maybe one or two times more. <laughs> yes. Well, she doesn't poop on people's hands anymore. People poop on her. Yes. <laughs> and that is the reality of becoming a parent. I always figure I'm saving that up. Like all the diaper changing, like is gonna come back to me one day. Yep, when they change our diapers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, 
Our next story is from Aaron Pate. Aaron is an improviser in Chicago and a mom of two and was part of a great female improv group with some of my, my girls, Chitara. Yeah, if you are a fan of 80s trivia, then you probably remember Chitara from their awesome run on the 80, VH1 80s trivia show with Pat Kiernan, which, whose name I'm totally forgetting. But we also had this awesome connection later because... Mary ended up doing a play with an actor named Lynn Lipton. Mm -hmm. And as we got to know Lynn, it turns out she was the voice of Chitara in Thundercats. She was Thundercats. <laughs> so it was this amazing connection that happened, I don't know, 10 years after we had moved to, moved to New York. Yes, but Erin's got a, a great story um, that she's going to share about meltdowns and Walgreens. Um, mm -hmm. And the very real issues of uh, parenting a child with some special needs. It's the Wednesday after New Year's, and my 23-month-old son has just been diagnosed with an ear infection. As I pull out of the doctor's parking lot and head east toward our house, I fly through every option of picking up his medicine and its project projected outcome. And even though driving directly to Walgreens to get it filled is fraught with peril, I don't want to <laughs> wait another minute before getting him on the road to recovery. And I realized mistake number 421 of the day. I had left my son in dinosaur footy pajamas because, unlike most days, when he puts in a few hours at his accounting firm before hitting the treadmill and free weights at his local LA Fitness, the little guy was too sick to do much more than sleep and lay in my arms on the couch watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Aww. I know. Footy pajamas worked fine at the doctor because we went from point A, the car, to point B, the doctor's office, and I could carry him and have my daughter walk next to me. But picking up his prescription at Walgreens threw a fiery lumberjack axe into the mix. <laughs> Even though I had my umbrella stroller in the trunk, I couldn't put my son in it because my daughter would throw a fit. Because if there is a stroller involved, her majesty, the toddler, must be the one pushed. Oh. <laughs> Son on the loose in the store, and even with ears full of pus and feverish, he would be pulling every single item off of every single shelf he could get his greedy hands on. <laughs> so I carry my son into Walgreens and spot a shopping cart just to the left of the door. Yes, I can slip his footies right into the child seat and I'll be home free. Just as I'm doing this, I realize I have made mistake number 422. In Matrix 3D slow motion, my daughter stops and whips her head around while emitting a low howl. Crap. I have researched and compiled hours of data on every store's shopping cart status and know which ones have double side-by-side -side kid seats. The list is minuscule, Target and Costco. Yeah, true. In all other stores, I keep both kids out of a cart unless my husband is with me and we can each push a kid. This seems like a lot of effort, Aaron. Shouldn't your flowcharts, graphs, and cartography be used on more purposeful subjects like climate change? Or how to cook a one-pound pork loin when you've forgotten to turn the oven on until 20 minutes before dinner? <laughs> this research only goes so far if I follow through with it correctly. As I haven't, I get to participate in the five steps of daughter defiance. First, my daughter stands next to the cart near my son, whining and doing an homage to the foot fire drill my eighth grade basketball team did in practices. <laughs> Second, I lift her to try to place her in the basket area of the cart. Like a cat being dropped into water, she planks over the basket, her howling increasing a few decibels. <laughs> Third, I tell her she has to walk if she doesn't want to ride, which inspires her to try to ride on the outside of the cart. 
forgetting uh. she is terrified of riding on the outside of the cart. <laughs> Fourth, she tries to ride at the end of the cart, forgetting she's even more terrified of riding <laughs> on the end than on the side. Fifth, I tell her again to walk, and she throws herself stomach down on the floor, latching to the linoleum like a starfish on the side of a fish tank. After several pep talks, promises and pleas to get her to stand have no results. My only solution is to push my son 10 feet forward in the shopping cart, then walk back to my daughter, unsuction her from the floor, carry her 20 feet forward, setting her down where she immediately starfishes to the floor again, then walk back to my son to start the process over. Walgreens is not a terribly large place, but when you don't know which aisle children's Benadryl is located, any wrong turn is a disaster. After about five rounds of this, I have a brilliant idea. At Target, I bribed them with Horizon chocolate milk at the mini Starbucks. Except for the 30 seconds of panic when one of them inevitably pushes his or her straw all the way inside the milk box. And I have to dig into my reserve straws that I keep in my coat pocket for this express purpose. <laughs> the rest of the shopping trip is peaceful. Doing a quick Venn diagram in my head, I determined that if chocolate milk works at Target... It will surely work at Walgreens, and in my most exuberant voice suggest we get chocolate milk. My daughter's depression magically evaporates as she pops up from the floor and sprints behind me toward the refrigerated section. When we get to the milks, I realize my brilliant idea is really a sneaky mistake number 423. Walgreens doesn't sell individual milk box, chocolate milk boxes, just larger bottles. My exuberance knocks up even higher. I explain that while we won't be able to drink the milk here, Boy, will we enjoy it at home. <laughs> the result is the largest howl yet, and my daughter starfishing on the floor in front of the frozen pizza pockets. And so the process continues. Ten feet forward in the cart, back to the starfish, unsuction, 20 feet forward, back to my son. <sighs> we finally get to the back of the store, and I spot the children's cold and flu section in aisle eight. I push my son over, leaving my daughter flat on her stomach at the tip of aisle seven. <laughs> I am bent over trying to decide if the generic children's Benadryl is cheaper than its brand name counterpart. It is. And made up of the same ingredients. It is. And I'm about to get out my Bunsen burner to determine if the percentage of ingredients are the same when I hear, excuse me, is this your child? <gasps> yes. I huff a little more severely than necessary because I was expecting the next words to be something to the extent of, well, then you better gum get her before I call the fuzz. Busy bodies in my head are always real lippy. I stick my head around the corner and see the person talking is a Walgreens employee. And instead of looking annoyed, she is smiling when she says, oh, okay, I just want to make sure you knew where she was. I think my husband, 20 miles away in his 15th floor loop office, could pinpoint where our daughter was by the volume of her whales. But I appreciated her concern, and I thank her for it. I grab the generic Benadryl and head over to the pharmacy where I'm told it will be just a few minutes for my son's prescription to be filled. I'm wondering if the pharmacist's few minutes is the version where I tell my kids that we are going to leave the park in 10 minutes, but use 30 seconds for each minute to count it down. Mm -hmm. Or the version where I tell my kids we can't play with the Play-Doh for the 14th messy time that day because daddy is going to be home in a few minutes or an hour. When I look to my <laughs> left and see that my daughter is slowly army crawling in my direction. She reaches us and with a grunt flops on her back, revealing a large wet spot at the top of her black wet leggings. She has peed oh. all the way through her diaper and her pants. And I realize that I left her diaper bag in the car. And even if I uh. had it, 
I wouldn't be able to change her because cart and footy pajamas and chocolate milk they can't drink and generic children's Benadryl. And maybe I am the worst mother that has ever existed after all. I tell both the kids that it's just going to be a few minutes and push my son <laughs> over to the waiting area for the Walgreens clinic, thinking if I sit down, maybe my daughter will follow suit and I can get things back on track. There is only one other person in the waiting area, an older woman who is reading one of the free magazines. She looks up when my daughter shuffles over and gives her a huge smile. Oh, hello, aren't you cute? My granddaughter Jessica is your age. What's your name? When people first encounter my daughter, I watch their faces furrow in confusion as their innocent questions. What's your name? How old are you? Is that your brother over there licking that table? Is that with... <laughs> A range of indifference, jumping, and or sound effects. What it isn't met with is a verbal response. Because although my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter is the size of a five-year-old, her development range is 18 to 36 months. Each time this happens, I want to get into an extended explanation about months upon years of speech therapy and bilabial sounds and spatial motor function and IEPs. I want to pull out my phone and show pictures and videos of my daughter's brilliance, wit, and grace of... Her forcing me to act out the first three scenes of Frozen, her being Anna and me being everyone else, of her <laughs> burgeoning love of jigsaw puzzles and how when tickled her delighted laughter could put a smile on even the biggest grump's face. Instead, as I usually do, I take the quick route and respond with my daughter's name and give a friendly sign to the woman who proceeds to engage my daughter in a one-sided conversation about unicorns. On days like this, <laughs> Late night conversations between my husband and I spring into my mind. Typical conversations where we wonder if our kids will go to college, get married, give us grandchildren, bleed into quiet questions of, will they ever be able to get their own places, have true independence, go packing through Europe with friends, Skyping us with stories about the Louvre and the Parthenon, and cleverly omitting stories about too many pints of Warsteiner or sexy Spaniards. Will we ever be empty nesters, listless with free time and fighting over taking a b-boy hip-hop dance class or starting a bee colony in our newly spare bedrooms? <laughs> Struggling to find new identity now that mommy and daddy isn't our number one role. A few minutes later, the woman's daughter, about the same age as me, comes out of the clinic, thrusting her arms in the air with sheepish pride and announcing, Double ear infection! Her mother shakes her head in sympathy, clucks her tongue, and holds her arms out to envelop her daughter in a hug. That's when it hits me. Regardless of my daughter or son's futures, I will never stop being their mommy. I will never stop worrying about them, caring for them, or protecting them. I hear my son's name being called at the pharmacy, wish the women a nice day, and head toward the car, 20 steps forward and 10 steps back. <sighs> Oh my God! I think nothing could be more true about life. Mm -hmm. Twenty steps forward, ten steps back. And in parenting, just when you think I've got this, I've got it, I've got it. All of a sudden, you realize you don't have it at all. All right, thank you so much for listening. And again, if you if you enjoyed the show. Leave us a review, a rating. You can uh, reach out to us on our Facebook page. And yeah, what are your stories? Uh, when's the moment you realized that being a parent has nothing to do with how you look? Uh, or, you know, what's your Walgreens story? 
Yeah, we want to hear them, guys. We want to hear from you guys. So find us on Facebook at Funny Parents or on Twitter at Funny Parents Pod. And we look forward to bringing you some more stories in a couple weeks. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye.